Channel My Inner Slaven here. Hello and welcome to the final totally Scottish football show of the season. I'm JJ Bull from The Telegraph and the men's football season in Scotland is officially done and dusted. That is until Aberdeen gets some of that sweet, sweet Europa League qualifier action in July. But don't worry, the Women's World Cup is a few days away and we're going to be speaking to Hibbs' Rachel Small about Scotland's chances there. Congratulations to Celtic men on your treble treble. Well done on that. Uh, Hearts had a hickey, but Lennon got offered a job in the shower. I want to know how that happens. After a Premiership campaign that's been pretty insane, it's perhaps appropriate that the season ended with the lowest scoring penalty shootout in Scottish football history. Yes, Dundee United are bad at penalties and at protecting their social media accounts from hackers. But St Mirren survive. We'll be joined later by Buddies fan, the man known as Pie and Bovril on Twitter. And another man, known as Old Firm Facts, will be in the podcast later to discuss another crazy nine months in Scotland. Alongside me, two people with actual real names. From Kika, it's Anthony Joseph. Hello, Anthony. Hello. How are you doing? Good yourself? Uh, wonderful. Loud. <laughs> Loud, as you can tell. And next to him, from Copa90, it's Finn Marks. How are you, Finn? Uh, very well, thank you. We're recording this just after the Championship playoff final. That was today in England, as you say. Not the Scottish one. That was the other day. And that was between Aston Villa and Derby. Graham Shinney will not be in the Premier League next season. Bad luck, England. But John McGinn will be, because he scored what turned out to be the winner at Wembley, uh, with the ball basically being put off his head by the goalkeeper. It's not a <laughs> deliberate header at all. But So Villa beat Derby, and they are now in the Premier League, which could be good for one John McGinn. What does this yeah. mean for John McGinn and Scotland as a whole? It's good to have players in one of the top leagues in the world. It's Of course, it's, it's going to be good for his progression as well, and he's playing well. What was uh, I thought was great was seeing Jack Grealish straight after the game saying how good John McGinn was. I mean, that's what, he just uh, unprompted as well, just saying that he's like the most liked player in the dressing room and a great teammate. He's just flourished since he's signed for Aston Villa, and hopefully he'll do that in the Premier League as well. I think it's great. It's like fair play to him as well because I think he had that option potentially to join Celtic maybe at the start of the season. or, or The less or money offer well. though, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah but he, he was like, I, I want to take my chances. I want to see if I can prove myself on... Yeah potentially a bigger stage uh, ultimately and, and he's been proved right in that he's had a fantastic season for Villa down there and I, I can't wait to see him in the Premier League I think he'll do really well he saw the thunder bastard he scored earlier the volley from like 39 miles yeah. <laughs> some goal the interesting thing I thought about McGinn is that I mean he has been legit great all season for Villa their most important player probably and they've got a few that are there that aren't McGinn but uh, for the sake of this so Villa paid what I think well transfer market has it down at um, 2.8 million it turns out that's a pretty good deal because he's probably worth about 20 now. But that must mean that Scottish teams should value their players higher. Definitely. If there's if the English market is coming for Scottish players in Scotland, then they should definitely raise the bar. Whereas uh, Hibs might have... Well, they did. They accepted 2.8 million for, for their best player, John McGinn. But will it, lead to, will it lead to clubs getting better deals for players? Say like David Turnbull, I think it's a good example because he's magic. So can Motherwell expect to get big offers now? Do you think that's going to make any change at all having seen him again went straight from Hybies to Villa did really well? Or do you think it's just going to mean that players are now more aware that they sign shorter contracts so they can go to England if they get the chance? I'm not too sure. It's, it's such a difficult question because the market in England is just... 
so exponentially bigger than almost any other football market in the world. Mm. So a, a really good example is you look at uh, a couple of years ago, Rangers had Martin Waghorn, and that was a player that when he was at Rangers was probably valued in most people's minds around about, I don't know, a million pounds, if that, kind of 1.5 maybe. And, you know, then he transferred just uh, the other season from Ipswich to Derby, I think for like 8 million pounds. You're like, he's not an 8 million pound striker, but in England he is because it's, it's comparable to that kind of thing. So somebody like David Turnbull in Scotland a kind of average value might be like a three, four million pound player. But down south, if he's transferring between two championship teams, even he's a 20 million pound player or a 15 million pound player. It's just, it's the market that they're in. And it's a shame because even to a club like that, like Motherwell, say for, for Turnbull, four million pounds, you'd find that Heaps. difficult to turn down. Yeah, yeah, you need it. I think you lose them on a free and it's just a huge cash fall gone. When does the oppression get to end? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that hit Treble Treble song by David Bowie marks the start of our Celtic Hearts chat. So seven minutes into the second half of the Scottish Cup final, the Treble Treble was in serious jeopardy. But then Odds Edward showed his worth, approximately £9 million, I believe, and French Eddie scored twice after Ryan Edwards, Aussie Eddie, had given Hearts the lead after half-time. Boys, lads, my pals, did Edward get Neil Lennon out of jail and earn him a job? Yeah, I think he did. <laughs> uh, I think Celtic, for uh, up until Edward got the penalty and then scored again, they just weren't at the races. It was strange to me because there was a weird stubbornness about the Celtic tactics because they didn't come out and change after half time. It was still goalless, and I think a lot of people expected them to be ahead by then. How did they start? Exactly the, way, the same way that they've been playing for the last 15 games under Neil Lennon. It's, it's a very rigid system that he's playing. But it never really seems to deviate. And I, I just, Hearts were being stubborn. So you'd, you'd expect them to try and shake things up. And it just didn't. And even when Hearts scored, they didn't change the system at all. And it was kind of, I mean, it was the penalty that kind of turned things around. They haven't been as free flowing under Neil Lennon. And that's been a big bugbear of most uh, Celtic fans since Lennon took over. But oh. Hearts stopped them from playing out wide. Because one thing Lennon has started to do is use the wingers. And, uh, as wingers as opposed yeah, to as wingers, forwards, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. but Hearts almost stifled their attack the whole time they, they were hunting in threes pretty much Wait, they were a Hearts team trying to stifle the <laughs> other <laughs> and, but it was working for them and it was this, the first half was pretty much a write off it wasn't it was boring but I think that's sort of what Hearts wanted yeah. to try and make it dull because that's their best chance of winning I mean it was and, so boring and then the goal <laughs> the goal injected life in, into the game I thought Celtic that injected life into Celtic as well they, start, they started pressing forward but I, I guess Hearts were also trying to defend their lead but the penalty changed it I mean the goal uh, I loved the back heel by Claire to uh, yeah, uh-huh. really clever ingenuity just like roll off his studs backwards <laughs> but um, I think we have to talk about the penalty because of course we talk about referees every single week yeah it was it was soft, but I think it was a penalty. But I don't know what Zamal's doing. It was like a ball over the top from Hayes that came across to Edward, and Edward's sort of like dragging it further away, and Berra's with him. As soon as Edward gets the ball, Zamal comes out, but he hesitates as well. I don't know why. If you're going to go out, you go all out. If your keeper's coming out, you've got to go for it. But he hesitates, stops, and then that leaves Edward to get a yard past him, and and then clip himself onto Zlamal. I I think when you see it in real time. 
which I think is what you've always kind of got to go on because that, that's all the referee's got the time to make his decision. Yeah, yeah. From where you could see it on the on the TV, which albeit wasn't the best angle to see it in real time, it, it looks like a clumsy challenge from the keeper. So your your instinct is that's a penalty. I think when you see it from the replay from behind the goal, Edward's definitely trying to look for the foul there. He sticks his leg out yes. a little bit. And I don't think there's that much contact from from Slamel, but it is. It's, it's what you're saying. It's, it's clumsy. It's like it's it, if you're going to go out, you have to go out with your whole body and make sure you get the hand under the ball. But this is the thing, right? This has been driving me nuts all year. This is what referees do is they they give what they think is the foul, not what actually is the the, the foul. So what, let's see if I can explain what I mean by that in some sort of English though, language. The keeper comes comes off his line. Edward's there and he tries to go around him, and there's a defender next to it as well sliding in. Now, obviously, the keeper has to go to ground and put a hand down, but he does that. But he pulls his hand away. His hand's not. He's not going to touch him. Mm-hmm. So Edwards, I think it's his left foot. I've watched this so many times using the little arrow key on YouTube. Good yeah. good trick for everyone if you don't know this. You can push space and then little arrow key. You know the little pointy diagonal one? Yeah. You know yeah. the one. You know, everyone <laughs> loves that key. But you push that and you can go back and forth in slow motion. And it's it's clear that it's really, really clever, devious from Edward. And of course, the referee buys it. So Willie Collum can see it. Uh, from behind, it looks like Zemia fell, so he gives it. It's just these little things change the game. But I don't know even if on VAR if they'd take it back. I think they still give I it as a penalty. They still give it, yeah. It's so weird. But it's, so, but it's, but it's just a classic case of it's it's a soft. That's the definition of a soft penalty, isn't it? Well, we've got it. We can put it in the dictionary now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do we think about Neil Lennon being offered the job immediately after the game, permanently? Uh, offered it. Is it is it based on emotion? Is it based on sense? Is it the, he's the right man for the job? It's a weird one actually because it's from a Celtic fan's point of view, it's quite underwhelming. But I tweeted this after the game. I was surprised, but also not surprised. Like I was surprised because I thought because of the mood um, amongst most Celtic fans, I thought the board would would recognise that and probably think no, we, you can't go for Lennon. We can't go for Lennon. But then Lennon's record, you can't really argue with his record as, before, as a Celtic as manager well. before. Yeah, winning winning the titles, getting to the last 16 the Champions League, things like that. Uh, but the only real bugbear that Celtic fans can have about Lennon is the style of football. Yeah, he lost that Rangers game, but we can talk about how, how much it actually meant in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. He, he had two things to do, deliver the title and deliver the Scottish Cup. And that included winning against Hibs away, Aberdeen in the semi-final, and then Hearts in the final. And he's done it. How can you not give him the job? If, if, you, if you're the board, how can you not give him the job? He's done everything you've asked him to do. I, I totally agree. I mean, it makes sense, right? I, 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 I guess I it's not exciting, but you can't it's, it's always under, get It's exciting. underwhelming, but it's... Uh, I, to okay, me, what else it, is, it kind yeah. of feels a little bit short-sighted. Because I think... Amazing what a couple of shandies will do to you, though. <laughs> I think Martin Compson was putting them away. He was on the TV. He looked pretty <laughs> merry. But um, Peter Lowell has said in the papers that he doesn't think there's like a massive rebuilding job to do at all. And Neil was kind of always the man for the job. I, I don't know if that's right. I, I think there Ever is. Ever since a... he won the Scottish Cup final, I knew he was the man. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just don't know why you would go through weeks of allowing the press to, to constantly you know, ruminate about it and speculate and put names out there and stuff. And it can't have been good for Lennon, you know, trying to keep that going as well. It just seemed weird. And I think, yeah, I I think this summer is a really important time, but arguably potentially the most important time period for Celtic in the last eight years. Because I think even looking back to Lennon's record when he was, was in charge before, he wasn't 
up against a team like Rangers who have the money and now a manager and a playing squad who are decent, relatively speaking, what's, what's or first two years? settled for, for, for almost 10 years. Yeah. And I, I, I think... I don't know. I think Celtic have have quite a lot of work to do this summer, and I just really wonder if Neil Lennon's got the clout to bring in the players that they need and to turn that squad over. I think they're so far ahead. Everyone else it doesn't really matter, honestly. <laughs> they're, they're so far ahead. Like I can't see that being caught. We should talk about uh, Craig Levine though, because uh, I mean the two managers shared a little sort of weird embrace at the end. I thought I don't know what they said yeah. to each other. It looked like Lennon was a bit caught off guard by what Levine said, but uh, we wondered whether this might be uh, Levine's last game for Hearts. Hearts fans starting to lose faith in him a wee bit I liked that he started Aaron Hickey 16 year old started him at left back and I thought he was one of their best players he all was, through the game he was so composed and so mature on the ball he was one of their best players and you could tell the last 10 minutes he was stretching his legs all the time when the ball was out of play and he was gasping for air as well it's, it's Martin Forrest half and he's a 16 year old boy but it's, actually for Scotland it's such a shame he's a left back <laughs> <Isn't> <laughs> why is he not a right back well, you can start training him now yeah, to be right foot exactly. you never know I think the scariest thing is that you know he's 16 years old means he was born in 2002 which means this this person has no living memory of Fabrizio Ravinelli ever playing for Dundee and that's a tragedy <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's it's a shame for Hearts so I wonder whether they'll see it as just a, a poor season like it's, it was nice to not have Aberdeen losing the final again to Celtic and another team having a go so you can see what the difference is when other teams play Celtic on a big occasion they just went up to it I mean they finished 6th in the Premiership this season took one point in the last 7 games went into it in really bad form I thought it was just going to be because you know it happened. Your your mind switched to, to the cup. What did we started resting players as well? He was yeah. It's been a weird season. I get. I still think it's been an okay season for Hearts, finishing top six and oh, actually and, six. Is that is that really good? Not not really good. I never said really good. I said okay. <laughs> it's like, but getting to a cup final is still big, and that was probably the season defining moment. I think getting to the cup final. If we're talking about whether Levine's going to stay or not, he gave himself the job pretty much. If we remember yeah. that, it's, although the hierarchy says he's, he's not bomb-proof, yeah, yeah. I, I know that, but it's he's part of the board, which is also strange for a manager. So I don't know. It's, Maybe they say he's not like, bomb-proof, but it would have to be a disaster for him to leave. I think. Like he's so ingrained, and this is a like disaster. Part, he's like part of the board now. He's so ingrained. He'll he'll become like a sort of transformer and become part of the stadium. Like he'll merge with Tyne Castle. <laughs> yeah. Some weird it'll start by lightning, and he'll never be rid of it. It'll There'll be, be the, giant eyes over the game. It'll be the Craig Levine Arena soon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, lastly, because uh, I mean, sure we watched it on on BBC when it was on. Some pretty cool virtual punditry from Stephen Thompson and Michael Stewart. What happened? <laughs> what I loved about this was when they showed Tavernier's uh, free kick. Was that they were right next to the wall, but there was the shadow of the wall. But they had also put in the shadow of them in the graphic as well. <laughs> it was great. It was like they were actually there. I think it was like you know, you know, the old boy that used to do uh, the green screen visualizations uh, on election night on the TV, and he's kind of walking around just a massive expanse on the floor. Oh yeah. It was a bit like that, but it was more like when Alan Partridge tries to do his preview of the 94 <laughs> World Cup and he's like falling over, you know, the, the, the things that are swinging around. It actually reminded me more of, I don't know if you guys remember a, a kids TV show that was on ITV back in the day called Nightmare. Yeah. They, it was like a team of like four what? four geeks were invited on every every week. Four and, esteemed gentlemen and ladies. And, and ladies as well sometimes. But um, one of them has to put like a, a helmet on and they can't see and they have to walk through this virtual world guided by the three other people that are still in the studio and uh, they'd always die after about like four moves in a really pathetic manner. But it was like that but with Scottish food in the background. Like the next time they can do it, everyone can shout, you're in a room! And that'll be Stephen Thompson. 
And Michael Stewart, I'm, uh, it, let's campaign for that as well. It was completely terrible, and I want to see it for every match next season. <laughs> There were absolute scenes in the home dressing room at St Mirren Park. There was no separating the second best team in the Championship and the second worst team in the Premiership though. And after a 0-0 draw at Tenedice and a 1-1 in Paisley, the Buddies stay in the Premiership, winning the relegation promotion playoff 2-0 on penalties, which I've never, ever seen before. We're joined now by Dave McDonald, also known as Pie and Bovril, one of the best Twitter accounts on Scottish football. Dave, you're a St Mirren fan. How nerve-wracking was that tie? It was awful. <laughs> it was really not enjoyable either game. It, it's a different feeling than, than a cup final. I just felt sick for the whole for the whole of the two legs for every minute of it. It was just not enjoyable until that last penalty was missed and then it kind of just this enormous wave of relief, which was kind of hard to describe again because it's, it's different to the feeling of winning a cup or winning a league. It's, it's just relief. But it was a great result for us in the end, to be fair. Jack Ross took the club up and left last summer. Alan Stubbs is in charge for four games and then sacked. You must have feared the worst at that point. Oh, we were a mess. You know, the, the recruitment that Stubbs did really left us in a very, very poor place. And in fact, only there was only one player that he brought in, which was Cody Cook. He was the only one that survived from the whole season, which is absolutely amazing. At one point, we kind of we just looked done. We just got completely done, and it was only there was a couple of signings made, uh, free agents, after Stubbs left, but before the transfer window opened, uh, Ferdinand Jackson, Adam Hamill, Adam Hamill made a, a big difference uh, just to get us a few points just before the January window opened, and then we kicked on after that. So, yeah, it was uh, it was looking really grim at one point, but thankfully uh, we we finished the season really well. What's Oren Kearney done? The form's been pretty good since the split. Yeah, I think, as I say, it just comes down to recruitment. I think we signed much better quality of players in January. And it took some of them a while to bed in. And, you know, a lot, they came from pretty much every corner of the world as well. So there's, there's a lot of different nationalities all trying to bed in. There was players at different levels of fitness. It, it, and it just obviously you're trying to build a whole team. In January, it's, it's hard, um, and it definitely took them some time, but Oren never seemed to waver from his belief that we were getting better, and I think the fans bought into that. We could see things were getting better. And you mentioned Jack Ross. It was actually really, really similar to the season we'd had under Jack Ross two years ago. Um, when we looked at that point, as we were going to go down to League One, and we revolutionised the squad in January, and it, it paid off. And we, we stayed up in the last day of that season, and then went on to win the league the next season. So it's it's been it's not been a dull three years for us. And what do you think needs to happen this summer? Well, hopefully, just some stability. I think losing Jack last summer because we lost Jack at pretty much this time last summer, and it kind of rocked us a little bit. Um, and then it took us a while to appoint a new manager, and then you're almost behind the curve a little bit. So we want to you know, Oren. The fans love Oren. We want to see Oren staying at the club and we want to see him building on the good foundations that we've brought in and hopefully some of the players that we've got in on loan, we might see them uh, coming back either as permanent signings or extending the loans for a while and hopefully some good new signings because, as I say, when they brought Gus McPherson in, uh, sorry, my voice is still wholesome yesterday, when I, we, brought, we brought Gus in as uh, director of football, whatever they changed in terms of the recruitment policy, 
I mean, it was night and day, so hopefully we can unearth a few more gems because players like uh, the goalkeeper, I mean, Ladke's been unbelievable for us. Um, he'll get the credit for the penalty save yesterday, but all season, uh, since January, since he arrived, he, he's been absolutely phenomenal and won Player of the Year pretty much every supporters club. Uh, and he was he was one of the main differences, actually, in, in, in the whole season. He was just tremendous. This game was sort of entertaining, very, very tense. I mean, I don't want to start with the refereeing, so let's not. What do you make of the penalties? <laughs> I think Dundee United's penalty was harsh. I think, what was it, Booth fired it across and uh, Baird's challenging. He's got to have his arms somewhere. It was. It's like a yard, it's less than a yard away. It wasn't a natural position. There was no time for him to do anything with his arms. It's just natural to so ball, have your arm there. It wasn't, wasn't the like box, his arm right? was right up above his shoulder or anything like that. Yeah. It, was, it was just down by his side. I think that was a very harsh penalty. I wouldn't have given it. I, I, I don't think it was as controversial as people make out. I think like if you look at like some of the handballs that have gone around, not just in Scotland, but in European football this year, the one in, in Paris, I think, in the Man United game, PSG, was horrendous. This one, the way that he's going in, kind of, I get what you mean, like it's kind of the angle that y- you can't really change your body. I mean, I'm more than willing to be proved wrong from the Michael Stewart book of biomechanics on this, but <laughs> I, I thought he was going in a little bit high when he slid in. So I, I can see why the ref gave it. It's funny though, right? Because I mean, I, I sort of agree. So uh, Michael Stewart is speaking in sports and he said that it's to do with when you jump up or you go in for this, your arms have to go somewhere. However, I think if you're defending a ball in your own box and the whole point of a penalty is that it's, you, know, you gain advantage because someone else has gained an advantage by using an illegal part of their, their body. If you're jumping in, I think part of the weird phrasing of it has got people going nuts this year is that they say, well, I'm going to put my hands. So the point is you shouldn't be diving in because if you do that, it will hit your hand and then just don't be in that situation in the first place. Don't let the person get the cross in the first place. It's a weird sort of cause and effect yeah. bit and piece. I understand it's controversial and it's kind of a weird thing to say. But, I mean, I think it's a penalty because yeah. he dives in and his hands up and it comes out and hits it. It's Otherwise, really up. Well, the it's just by his side. No, it's- it is. He's gone up like a star. He's like Peter it's Schmeichel like, yeah. trying to stop it. It's not over. His, it's definitely not up like that. I think he's Peter Schmeichel saved that. Because it hits him there. <laughs> Again, Tony's just tapped his arm. It's four, his forearm, it hits. Yes, yes. The medium of podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I, I think it was a penalty. I, I, I think I can see why the referee's done it. I think while this one's a bit more debatable, it's, it was the red card later on that really felt like a poor decision for me. And that's Duckins Nazan who goes in for a header, leads with his elbow and it catches uh, the boy in the face. That one I disagree with you. Well, I don't know if he's... I, I think he's definitely got his eyes on the ball. He doesn't mean to do it. There was no intent to elbow Conley in the face, but it was just clumsy. I know I know, I know. when you're jumping up, I, I, am I being hypocritical about the penalty? It's natural or whatever. But it was just clumsy the way he done. It was only his, it was only his uh, left arm that had gone up and it catches him in the face. I don't know whether it is because of height or whatever. It's just unlucky, but... So is it a red I, card? I, 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 would, I can see why he's given the red card. I probably wouldn't have given a red card. All right, Finn. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it was a red. I think his eyes are on the ball the whole time, and the referee's watching it, and from his angle, I don't know how it looks like it's as much of an elbow as he thinks it is, but I think it's, it's made worse by the fact that just a few minutes before that, Peter Pollitt's elbow on Mihai Popescu was way worse yeah, and he got uh, off with it so I, I, this is the whole thing about like what's been a problem in Scottish football this inconsistency even yeah. within games of the refereeing it's almost like they see one thing happening and they're like oh god I've, I've made a mess there I should probably have done something oh someone's done the same thing now I can award what I thought it was but they make it worse by yeah. doing it for the, for another team that's, and not punishing the other for example right I know these are both difficult decisions but 
if you are playing football 11 aside and say Tony like say um, I dive in to stop you crossing the ball and to win the game in the last minute would you not be annoyed that it's not a penalty even if it comes off my hand what, and I don't mean it your, I'd, yeah. be cl- I'd be claiming for it definitely well there you go <laughs> well if this was London Scottish against Aberdeen yeah we would be and you'd be 8 <laughs> up by that point yeah. uh, this is this was the one of the worst penalty shootouts uh, <laughs> Honestly, four poorer penalties you will not see. I think because one of them hit the post and then the three others were hit into the exact same position, yeah. oh. which is mildly... With no power. ...on, on Hladke's left of centre. And, I, I mean, he still got to save them, but the United penalty takers made it as easy as possible. I think Paulus was the worst. Um, and well, you think I thought Booth's at the end was the worst because he, he goes for... What he's trying to do is blast it straight down the middle. And he it just like trundles along, but he he blasts it. But like you could almost see it bobble twice before the keeper got got his foot to it. <laughs> to say like I, I think the keeper did really well. I mean, Paulitz was dreadful, but I think the keeper still read it very easily. Yeah, that's right. probably that's why it was so bad. He telegraphed it. Uh, the save the second penalty was superb. Then the next one hit off the post, and then the last one. So the guy's going down the middle, like you were just mm-hmm. saying. But again, keeper reads it very very well. Yeah. That is definitely the worst penalty shoot I've, I think I've ever seen. And it, I think it's ironic because I think Dundee United were involved in the best penalty shoot I've ever seen. And that was in 2009 Scottish League Cup semi-final at Hamden against Celtic. And it was 11-10 Celtic. Yeah. Willow Flood had to take two penalties. He scored his first one and then he, he missed the last one. That it Was that not just before he moved to Celtic Yeah, as and well? then three days later signed for Celtic. Yeah. But they had, to go through, they, had to, they, had to, they had to go through the, the teams twice because everybody yeah. kept scoring. I love score when that one. happens. <laughs> uh, SPL Stats on Twitter notes that this is the first time in almost a quarter of a century Dundee doesn't have a club in the top division. It's a shame because... You, I, you I really want Dundee United, Dundee games... Yeah, you obviously want your biggest clubs in the top league and if we're going to sell Scottish football out to the rest of the world, I think you need to have that. If but, anything, I like it because the stadiums look busier because yeah, Dundee United get uh-huh. a big gate. And the derbies are usually good as well, uh, Dundee derbies. It would be good to have them in the Championship, I guess that's going to be a selling point for the Championship. But I, th- I think it's a bit of a disaster for Dundee United not coming mm-hmm. up through this fixture because I, I think at the start of this season... Most people were saying, oh, they have to get out this season. They have to get up. The amount of money that they've spent, I, I don't think they could have envisaged four seasons in the championship. And they definitely haven't budgeted for four seasons in the championship no. as well. They put a lot of money behind Robbie Nielsen when he came in and, and, and kind of backed him. They just they, they have to come up next season. I think if they don't, it's getting to the point of no return because the championship's just so difficult to get out and it's disastrous for them. They've got, they've got a premiership team there and it's going to be interesting how long they can sustain that in the championship. They've got... I think they've they got a new relegation Premiership team there. Yeah, but that's, they'd, be, they'd be bottom they'd be bottom end. But I still think I still think it's Premiership team. Well, they should um, probably look at spending some more money in the summer on defending their password key. Oh God! Uh, we should mention that so Dundee United's Twitter account was hacked dur- during the game, <laughs> which is the well, it's just, I mean, well done to the hackers. And they're well, not for what they were saying though. And there were a number of things going on, including some very offensive tweets about the Pope that we definitely can't repeat on this podcast. Uh, I wonder what kind of allegiance the person uh, <laughs> yeah. managed well, to break into it was. They nailed the pin to the mast, didn't they? They, they? they said Mon the Rangers a few times. What was mildly entertaining about it was yeah that it was going on during the game, but also they must have got a bot to put in every time someone followed an United account it thanked them so it was just like saying oh thank you Kieran BT for for following and stuff it was just constant stream of that but yeah it was shocking the rest of the stuff it was terrible and obviously you don't condone that kind of behaviour at all but it, in a weird kind of microcosm it kind of summed up the silliness of the whole of the season even yeah. on the final 
day of the season in the final moments of this mad campaign this mad year there was still something like this that was going on you could imagine some Dundee United fan in Vietnam or something just hitting refresh constantly on the Dundee United account wanting to know how the team's <laughs> doing in the biggest game of the season and getting all that you're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show the greatest show in women's football kicks off a week on Friday. Scotland will be at the World Cup for the first time ever. And we're joined now by Hibs Vice Captain Rachel Small. Hi Rachel, how you doing? Hi, I'm great, thanks yourself. Oh, fantastic. Um, first things first, you won't be playing this summer, but you have a very good excuse. Unfortunately not. <laughs> What's your good excuse? My good excuse is I've had a daughter eight months ago. Congratulations. So, thank you very much. How is that going? <laughs> it's actually going really well, to be honest. She's just getting ready for her bed now. Um, but no, I couldn't be happier with her. She's first class, can't complain. So I've heard all the horror stories of kids screaming and crying and not settling, but can't fault her at all. So I'm sure it'll, I'm sure it'll all change one day. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've been playing though, right? So you were back, um, I was giving birth in September and you helped Hibs win the SWPL Cup. You're not yeah. planning on retiring or anything. You're, you're still going to be playing right again. Yeah, right the way through my pregnancy, I was planning on always coming back to football. I've done it since I was a little girl, so there was absolutely no reason, just because I've had a daughter, that I was going to stop. And thankfully, my recovery from the pregnancy and everything's went well, and I managed to get back in for pre-season with the team and get my fitness back. So yeah, I'm delighted to be back playing with the girls, and obviously winning trophies helps as well. So, um, Scotland are in the same group as Argentina, Japan and England. You know Shelley Kerr very well, you yeah. featured regularly under her. What will she be saying in the build-up while, while the team's working on getting ready for the games? I don't think she'll work on any game other than the next one. Obviously, all the preparation that Shelley's doing will be geared towards the World Cup games and the group stage games. But as I say, in the background, Shelley, although she'll tell all the girls it'll be geared towards Jamaica, she'll solely be focusing on that England game to get the girls off to a good start. What's the realistic hopes for, for the World Cup? I think it's been well documented that the girls want to get out of the group. Obviously, it's their first time here, so maybe saying you're going to go and win it is maybe a bit unrealistic. But no, we're uh, certainly, win it. <laughs> I would love to win it. Um, but certainly, getting out of the group is is a realistic chance for the girls, and one that I'm sure they'll they'll give a good go and give a good account of themselves. And to be honest, I don't think they've got anything to fear going into these games. Um, they're the underdogs and what I would imagine would be all of them. So um, they'll thrive on that and they've got some great talented players and obviously Erin Cuthbert's been flying down in England and, and getting noticed on the, the European stage as well in terms of Champions League and things with Chelsea. So yeah, she's been doing fantastic and she'll be one of the, the important players for Scotland going into this World Cup. Have you noticed the difference, like an, an improvement in some of the players like um, Kim Little who are playing on pro contracts, especially in England? Does it make a big difference, you think? And is it something that we need to have in, in Scotland? Yeah, I think it's it's obvious that when you go down south and you're playing more regularly and even if you're playing abroad and things, you've noticed the difference in the girls. I remember playing against girls like Lana Cleland and everything years ago um, in the Scottish League and um, although she was good for her club, she was never one that you would you would go into a game and think, right, we need to solely focus on her because there was other girls just as good as her. But for her to then go abroad and, and really prove herself in Italy, she's she's definitely improved massively and she's obviously uh, featuring quite regularly in the Scotland squads when she's fit. So, yeah, I think it's massive for girls to go and, and compete regularly and professionally. And I think everybody that I've spoke to who's maybe moved on, especially from the Hibs team recently and started playing more competitive games down in England, 
they said that it's benefited them massively. So, yeah, I think it's maybe something that we need to look at in Scotland. But again, that'll only come with the national team doing really well and be able to to bring money into the the Scottish game up here. So, yeah, hopefully in years to come for the younger age girls, it'll be something that they can look forward to uh, when they grow up. But certainly right now, it's the league's not really in a position to do so. Uh, what's um, what like specifically? What kind of differences do you see? Is it is it fitness or just sharper, just better? What is the the real things you see in the difference? I think it's their overall game. You can certainly see that people are obviously a lot fitter and sharper. But at the same time, because they're they're touching a ball every day of the week, so they're they're technically a hell of a lot better than they were, and tactically as well, they're obviously working with better players and um, squads around them, so they're able to do more time on the training pitch and work on things tactically and be more aware of the game and be able to understand the game better as well as being super fit and being able to run for days and and um, just their overall strength as well. So, yeah, I think overall the girls are, are definitely improving and competing with the, the top side of the women's game. Who are the big characters in that dressing room? In the dressing room, there's a few, to be fair. Um, I think um, Emma Mitchell and Lisa Evans, if you get they two together, obviously Emma's not going to the World Cup, unfortunately, but when they two together, they're always laughing and they've always got the squad laughing. Um but I think everyone's had their moments. Um, jo Love's obviously a very big character in terms of the squad. She's been there or thereabouts for, for years now. And I think as well as people looking up to her, she's one to have a laugh. And although you respect her, you know that she'll she'll have a laugh and a joke around the changing room as well. So, yeah, there's a few characters and there's some quieter ones as well. But it's a good blend of girls there. And I'm sure Shelley will be delighted to, to go away with them for a while and and be around their company. Do you think we're heading into this tournament with a lot more confidence than we did maybe to the Euros two years ago? Yeah, I think so. I think going by the results that they've had recently leading up to this World Cup, you've, you can only be on confidence. Um, to have the results that they did, especially against that Brazil team, I think a lot of people stood up and looked at Scotland as a team to, to be aware of and to be concerned about. Uh, we showed some some great footage of play there and there was a lot of good attacking players and movement and I think it's something that maybe in Scotland teams in the past we haven't really had is that creative final third movement and creativity and even the the finishes and things like that it's it's first class and there's a lot of girls competing in that squad now which is only going to improve the whole team if people are competing for their places for the starting eleven. It's something to be positive about and certainly going into this World Cup, I'm the most confident I've ever been in the Scotland team in the years gone by anyway. So, yeah, something to look forward to and I'm sure the whole nation will be very proud of them by the time the, the first game kicks off. Because we're going to win, right? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we end this season how we began it by chatting to Adam Miller, a.k.a. the great old firm facts. He's been busy writing numerous review pieces for Football Scotland. Uh, Adam, we spoke at the start of the season about the traits of Scottish football. What have been the traits of Scottish football this season? Uh, well, there's probably too many to mention. The, the sort of core elements of Scottish football, which is the sort of surreal strain running through it, that's been there from the minute the season kicked off right until yesterday. Um, I thought that last weekend of the season that we've just come out of, that summed up everything that was good and bizarre about what had gone before. I thought uh, the very last competitive action in Scottish football was Dundee United taking almost like a kind of uh, alternative attempt at a penalty shootout. <laughs> like it, it, was, it was like an avant-garde idea of what penalties should be. <laughs> uh, 
All the while, there was a ball boy giving them the fingers behind the goal, which actually seemed to work with the Peter Pollitt's penalty, which was saved while a ball boy was giving them the finger. Uh, to me, that kind of surreal element has been there from, from the word go this season. And uh, yeah, it was definitely an evidence of the weekend. What was your favourite thing thrown onto the pitch this season? <laughs> um, uh, there was some stuff, obviously, that was beyond the pale and not acceptable. But I... Since the minute it happened, not being able to get my head around exactly how or why a coconut ends up on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, that's um, my favourite. <laughs> there's so many questions, you know, first of all, why why would you do it? I was on my stag do at the time, and when uh, I was getting texted about it, think, you know, I was hoping for quite a quiet day where I could just ignore football and have a good time, and then I get a text through just basically saying, coconut on pitch. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, you're thinking like, what are the what are the logistics there? Does a guy you, you can't sort of spur of the moment throw a coconut onto the pitch like you would throw a coin? Uh, well, me or you wouldn't throw a coin, but like you know, if you're of that mentality, you know, you might just get so angry that you you throw a coin. But you have to plan the coconut in advance. Like, are you sitting at home? Yeah, are you out in the shop and see a, see a coconut and think? And I, I know what I could do with this. Uh, and then how do you get that into the game? You know, and at what point do you think, yeah, this is a perfect moment to throw a coconut onto the pitch. And at no point does no one say this actually isn't a good idea. I love the idea that coconut on pitch could be one of those like government-released uh, text messages that comes through <laughs> to everyone's phone. <laughs> uh, what do you make of... Um... What do you make of Neil McCann and the other various managers this season? You've got Steve Clark did quite a good job. McCann's an interesting one, which not everyone who's heard his analysis in Sky Sports would necessarily agree with. But in terms of his management, it was a, it was. I mean, Dun Dundee was just it was a shambolic season, and the fact that you have to actually have a, a debate with Dundee fans as to who was the worst manager you had this season. <laughs> You know, um, I, I think McCann, it was just an absolute shambles under him. And, you know, McCann, as a footballer, was a, he was an excellent player and he does know the game very well. But there's a sort of spikiness to him that is, in a similar way to someone like, say, Gordon Strachan, but with less of a sense of humour. I think if things aren't going well and Neil McCann's still got that kind of testy thing about him, it's off-putting and I don't think he had the the dressing room going for him. So McCann was uh, not the most impressive this season. Where most Scottish football fans have been endlessly frustrated by referees and the uh, the kind of judicial process this season, you, you must be absolutely loving that because it's just an endless uh, source of great content for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think the the big thing about the, you know, the SFA judicial panel and all the different uh, sort of refereeing inconsistencies this season is it's been the same issue as it is most years, but it's been intensified this season, which is just a lack of clarity and a lack of consistency. I think one of the most frustrating elements of the game, and it's not just confined to Scottish football, is that referees aren't, whether it's that they're not able to or that they choose not to, they're not explaining the decisions. So the longer, you know, if there's a controversial decision in a big game, we're instantly able to see loads of different TV replays, we're able to see fan footage shot from the stands that's uploaded to Twitter, we're able to see stuff people have uh, taken on Periscope or whatever, we're able to see several different angles of it and referees obviously only get that snapshot and that's not going to change because we're not getting far anytime soon. But when every fan has seen the incident from several angles and the referee 
has only seen it once. I think it would really benefit everyone if they were able to come out and say, actually, this is what I saw. I checked it with the fourth official. This is why we gave it. Um, and although that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get things right every time, it at least avoids the sort of daft conspiracy theories about it. Adam, who would who would get your character of the year in Scottish football? Like, who's who's been the best value personality wise, or even a group of fans, or or a club, or whatever? There's a lot of candidates for that. I mean, Levine is always up there purely because it's just the constant beefs he gets himself into with people and the sort of kind of wry grin that he has when he's doing it. Uh, Morelos as well, just because it's rare to watch a game that he's playing in where there's not something going on you know he's, he's he's easily one of the best players in the country but you couldn't ever confidently say he's not going to get sent off in this game um so Morelos would be right up there um I think I'd probably have to give it to Levine just on balance also also maybe uh the guy who ran the Berwick Rangers Twitter account <laughs> for a while he was unceremoniously booted off because that was a that was not long after I started writing for Football Scotland. That became my sort of first kind of long story that kind of ran the course of a week where I was coming into work and getting told people from Berwick Rangers are on the phone for me. And uh, that was, it was kind of interesting to sink my teeth into. But for anyone who doesn't remember, this was just uh, Berwick Rangers Twitter admin had a slightly kind of alternative way of reporting what was going on at the club. And... The fans were really buying into it. There was a lot of engagement with it. But one of his tweets concerning what uh, Gary Bolin supposedly said on the touchline, um, supposedly, uh, that sort of crossed the line. And then it became a kind of back and forward between the club and the Twitter admin until one of them had to leave. But, I mean, we've had a lot of uh, less than enjoyable bits with sectarian abuse to out to Neil Lennon, Steve Clark, Derek McInnes. And a lot of waterboutery that goes along with that. But apart from that, because I'm going to assume that everyone wants rid of that bit, what do you want to see change in Scottish football next season? I mean, waterboutery would have been the first one I would I would have said. Yeah, needs to go. Yeah, I mean, we, we've uh, we've seen a lot of unsavoury stuff this season, and there was a period of a couple of months where it was every single week there was something going on, and it got to the point where in the past I would have you know I've written about a lot of that stuff, but in the past I would have tweeted about that kind of thing, because it would only happen once in a while, so you would go, this, this is terrible, whatever, you'd condemn it. And then it got to the point where it was happening every week, and I thought, it should be implied that I think shouting that or throwing that or whatever they're doing is terrible behaviour. I don't need to call it out every time. And as soon as you do call it out, it's, why didn't you mention this last week? Rather than uh, you know taking responsibility. So there's, that's one thing I'd want to see more of next season, Another thing, I think, is people being a bit more relaxed about players celebrating. People are taking things a bit too seriously at times this season in terms of celebrations. So the first example being, I think, Scott Brown in the Derby in March when he was goading Rangers players after it. And there was just this massive outcry about it. And I thought, obviously, it's not necessarily Brown's proudest moment, the way he was acting at the end of it. But people were acting as if he was bringing the game into disrepute or as the SFA put it, not acting in the best interests of association football. It's daft, trumped-up charge. <laughs> all, all he was doing was having a bit of a laugh. And the same goes for when Rangers won the derby earlier on this month and people were saying, 
that's pathetic, they're celebrating. But it was a big psychological victory for Rangers and a comfortable one against the greatest rivals. We shouldn't be telling people how and when they should celebrate. As long as they're not actually hurting anyone, there's no problem with it. And that even came up this weekend with the St Mirren being criticised for celebrating. And I thought they've, they've just, in the most dramatic fashion, won the most tense game of the season, the playoff final. They've won it on penalties and it means they stay in the Premiership, which makes such a huge difference for them. Of course they're going to celebrate. And I just wonder where this ends up. Do they, The minute a team wins a game, do they then have to go to a sort of celebration official and explain <laughs> circumstances and ask permission to celebrate or be told how they can celebrate and for what length of time? So I think taking things a bit less seriously... It's the other one, and the last one I would say is uh, just Michael Stewart and Stephen Thompson to get their own spin-off series for <laughs> famous events, like, uh, kind of sort of Forrest Gump meets Black Mirror, but for, with more tactical analysis. Right, well, uh, that's it from us. Thank you so much to everyone who's listened this season. Uh, I know Andrew Slavin would like to say thank you, but he's not here just now. Thanks to all our guests. Um, thanks especially to Laura Brannan, who was here for so long as well. Hope you're doing well up in Motherwell. But we will be back because Muddy Knees Media have given us a second series. Back of the net. Back of the net. But listen to the Offside Rule podcast every day during the World Cup for analysis on Scotland women, because they do that very well. Um, so we'll see you next season. Thanks again for listening. Thanks to producer Charlie for everything he's done. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and be sure to check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Mm-hmm.